0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to Hacking Into Security, your career-related cybersecurity show. I'm your host, Ricky Burke, the InfoSec recruiter. And regularly, we'll be catching up with a variety of guests from CSOs, entrepreneurs, VCs, new people into the industry, and more. Each sharing their story, industry knowledge, and advice on how others can navigate success in their career. So sit back, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. Hey, and welcome to another episode of Hacking into Security. Today, we're here with Eldar Markson. Eldar is a pen tester, security researcher, trainer, and cybersecurity principal consultant for Seek in Australia. Eldar, thanks for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me. Great
0: to be here. Thank you. So there's a few titles there. So I guess, first question, who are you?
1: I guess I'm the adult version of a curious teenager. I started out learning about programming when I was relatively young and throughout that it eventually moved into a very in-depth involvement within cybersecurity. I guess it all dates back to when I first learned that someone can take a program that I had written and make it do something else and I really struggled with that concept to understand why or how Because I saw this as this is something I've written. I know every bit of code that goes in here, but it can end up doing something other than what I intended. And I found that very fascinating. And over the years, I have accumulated more and more knowledge related, I guess, to this notion of what you think you control, you may not actually control.
0: Interesting. That's a a big realization, I guess.
1: Yes, I think it was pretty fundamental. I'd say it's it's, it's one of those points in time that that sort of kicked off a a larger transition.
0: So there's a few titles that we said earlier on the intro. So I guess what, what is it you actually do these days?
1: I do cybersecurity. In terms of the day job, that typically means two things, either penetration testing or code review.
0: I guess talking about code review, that leads us on to one of the topics or main topics that I guess I'd like to cover today, and that's your journey, I guess, into security and then following on from that as a security researcher. So knowing that you've built quite a few tools and, well, to be honest, from what I see in here, you get lots of positive feedback. So you must be doing something, right?
1: Yes. Well, I wouldn't say I've built a lot of tools, but I I have some long-running tools that I get a lot of usage out of. Well, most of my tools tend to start as a need that I have, and then from that need, I tend to try to automate something. Yeah, I don't particularly like repeating the same tasks over, and then that automation, if I find it valuable, lends itself to a bigger project. So, for example, with code review, I have Groddit, which is a fancy way of running grep, it looks for certain patterns within source code that may be actual vulnerabilities, or at least good candidates for vulnerability research. So and that's a perfect example of a tool that I've been developing for a long time.
0: About 10 years or so?
1: It's, it's more than 10 years, probably, oh, wow. yeah, about 13, I'd say, at this stage. It was in use, I guess, by myself for, for a number of years before I started speaking about it publicly and releasing the source code it started as a as a need to to quickly check for just sort of the worst type of vulnerabilities in code base Uh, when I was a sysadmin, I just wanted to have a a quick review of code before deploying it and and really only just looking for sort of remote code execution type flaws and then sort of it built on, as I set out on an active journey to move from being a system administrator to a uh, full-time penetration tester.
0: So you, you sort of, I guess, had your journey from developer, sysadmin, into security, and you've been having, a, I guess, building your own tools alongside that.
1: As a developer, I guess you tend to build your own tools. I initially learned development because I wanted to write computer games when I was very young, <laughs> or significantly younger, and then realised how much work actually goes into <laughs> uh, computer games and that I didn't have all the necessary skills in terms of graphics and sound and all these other things. And so it ended up becoming a skill that I used more to to just help me work with computers on a more broad spectrum. And then as I discovered dbss and learned more about cyber security and hacking through various e signs i found more and more uses for programming
0: nice and going through that journey i obviously that these days i'm guessing it maybe it's a bit easier to release a tool or update a data tool because maybe you've got i guess a bit of a name or credibility and people maybe have more awareness of yourself what was it like i guess earlier on when you've Know releasing your first tool or sharing your first tool and getting feedback.
1: So uh, the very early tools I released, I don't think I ever got particularly feedback from. I did actually release tools or some scripts here and there when I was a sysadmin, but I did never, never really receive any any feedback or saw anyone sort of fork, fork any of my projects. And then, like I said. I generally write them for my own use, so it's not particularly important for me to get positive feedback. It's always nice. (laughs) Grodin was probably the first one, and and like I said, it it sort of served, it filled a couple of niches. The first one was that I was able to review code before deploying it on service that I managed to, to avoid any sort of security incidents. But then I also found that I did want to migrate from being a system administrator to full-time pen tester, and one of the ways in which I saw that being possible was through the release of advisories and finding vulnerabilities. So I quickly extended the script to find more types of of security flaws and then uh, set out to to leverage that to find real-world vulnerabilities, release some advisories, I found that it was it was very effective at certain types of, of vulnerabilities, sort of low-hanging fruit, which led me to present at uh, a local meetup here in Melbourne, Rucksmall. I presented uh, sort of a lightning talk, I guess, introduction to it, about how I was able to find some vulnerabilities. If I remember correctly, I think I dropped the zero day in that presentation, maybe yes. more than one. And then, uh, yes, that actually led me to my first job. So someone who was in that crowd approached me at a social meetup later on and said, hey, I saw your presentation. You should consider applying for a job with us. Shortly thereafter, I was his colleague.
0: Okay. Which uh, just shows the benefit of, I guess, trying to get your stuff out there and share it where you can.
1: Yes. Yes. I think, I think releasing tools, even if it is for something that already exists, is not a bad idea. From a self-promotion perspective, it shows a, a few things. It shows that you're, you can program, first of all, which is not a necessarily a requirement to do cybersecurity work, but I generally don't see it as a negative in any way, shape or form. It also shows that you're you're willing to organize your thought and, and come up with a repeatable, measurable process for performing a task. And even though there might be a tool that does exactly the same, chances are that there are corner cases where your tool might perform better. And even if it doesn't, it just shows that you're you're willing to to put in the time and effort to to produce something. So I think from a marketing perspective at least when I'm looking at uh, resumes for pen testers myself in in sort of past roles, the two things that I tend to look for is published advisories and a GitHub uh, account or or GitLab or Bitbucket, whichever you prefer, because it just shows that that people have both the motivation and the skills uh, to go and do these things.
0: That makes sense. And also, I guess the fact that i guess you've created something to solve a problem for yourself maybe there's others out there that maybe could benefit from that as well yes so it's funny i heard you mentioned about low-hanging fruit and you used that phrase in a talk that i heard you gave like a b-size canberra last year A talk a talk that was so hot that uh, they had to get the fire extinguishers in
1: yes that was uh an interesting uh, moment of uh, about to give the talk and uh, there was a fire. <laughs> <laughs> the, no, The thing that I find with particularly low-hanging fruit and, and regular expression matching is that there are certain code, certain ways of invoking code that results in a way where you can, you can do away with tank analysis because the sink and the source are essentially in the same invocation. And and that just results in a in a very high accuracy detection, uh, essentially no no false positives. Which is one of those. It's one of the few things where doing things like advanced analysis, parsing code into syntax trees, and doing tent analysis, it has no benefit to regular expression matching at that particular invocation type. So yeah, it's, I, I do spend a lot of time with regular expressions and trying to improve the noise to value ratio of product. Doing things like changing what I look for, I guess, rather than changing how the script interprets code.
0: That makes sense. Give I guess you get more exposure that way.
1: Yeah, it, I think it, it varies. It's, you'll often find that certain certain projects have the wrong way of writing code. So I'll often I'll often drop in custom custom rules or database sets for, for it when I'm auditing a particular code base. I guess they'll have wrapper functions and I can just look for use of wrapper functions rather than the the core functions within the programming language itself. And that's something that you can do very easily through regular expressions.
0: Okay. So just taking it backward steps so in terms of it so who would you say it's sort of built for and for those maybe that haven't used it before not aware of it how, how can they get i guess value or benefit from using a tool like that
1: primarily i'd say it's built for me <laughs> I, I have doubled down on a, a few of the design decisions because it's just things that make sense to me in the way i use it it wouldn't make sense to change particular behavior you get it off github we can get it off my follow links of my neglected blog yet, just justknowthehacker.com. The way to use Grotit, I would say, is to not run the whole language databases, but rather try for sort of a subset, look for a particular vulnerability type. So rather than running like all the PHP rules, just run a subset of like SQL injection rules or cross-site scripting rules secure use of SSL, and just look at smaller chunks. The Probably the biggest problem for people that haven't used CRUDit before or are not familiar with sort of code review is that there is no reporting engine, there's no classification. It just gives you a code view and highlights sections of the code. And so if you're not comfortable at a source code level to identify what type of vulnerability it is, you might struggle. So it does require a fair amount of uh, knowledge to be available to the person wielding it at the time. Again, that's a that's a deliberate choice because I tend to I tend to know what I'm looking for and I tend to read a lot of code. So to me, that just I don't waste time with generating a report or uh, anything like that. It just it gives me the code view and I can I can dive in and follow on from from that point. So it's not necessarily a, a beginner-friendly tool, but it's, it's very fast. And if you run sort of the low-hanging fruits, so I have a, a particular database set for, for low-hanging fruit or even a subset of that, that's specifically for uh, uh, remote code execution type vulnerabilities. So if you start there, the... The noise level or the false positive level is, is almost non-existent, but it might miss a bunch of things. Which I then tend to cover up by doing, you know, multiple reviews. So I'll just run grow at once and, and call it quits. So I I will, like I said, I, I typically add custom rules. So I'll I'll, I'll run it once with the uh, with a simple tools so or a database set, get a starting point. Dive in. Typically, I'll find functions that I want to look closer at or particular classes, and then I'll add that to a custom rule set and then I use that. It generally also helps be comfortable with the Linux command line if you're going to run Grodit, because again, it typically requires you to navigate the source manually with a text editor in addition to just running Grodit. So, yeah, Groddit is, is probably a bit of a niche tool. I do also write tools that are more generic or help maintain tools like dot dot pwn, which is a directory traversal checker, or uh, Duna, which is a generic network fuzzing framework. They're both more user friendly and, and sort of requires less specialist knowledge. Groddit is it's written primarily for me, and if anyone else gets any value out of it, then that's great.
0: Time for a quick break. I'm Ricky Burke. In my full-time role, I'm the founder and director of CyberSec People, a leading cybersecurity recruitment company, where we support organizations across the US and APAC in hiring cybersecurity talent. Through our connections and reach into the security community, our deep industry knowledge, we save organizations time when hiring. We have a 98% success rate and a three-year track record that demonstrates we only have to send, on average, two applicants to find success. If your organization is hiring, reach out as we'd love to discuss what that means for you. In the meantime, thank you for listening and enjoy the rest of the podcast. Out of interest, would you say, I guess, who'd get more benefit, developers checking their own code or pen testers?
1: I'd probably say pentesters, and the reason why I say that is that developers a lot of the times don't have the necessary understanding of what vulnerability or bug classes are or what they look like, what are the exploitation primitives that would be required. So, I mean, developers' job is to write code, not necessarily to be security experts, and because Grota doesn't give any additional information most of the times pen would probably benefit more because even as a, as a developer even if you can look at the code and sort of see well, it's highlighted saying i know there's a risk with this particular function it doesn't necessarily give you the context of you know how do you solve it etc but it's it really depends on the the knowledge of the individual i'm sure there are pen testers that would be able to run grot it and, and not really understand what they're looking at necessarily the language the you know the, the intimate knowledge of the language and the environment which is being run uh, is, is really what helps you determine whether or not what you're seeing you, you gotta you gotta look at it and analyze it and determine whether it's a false positive whether it's a valid vulnerability whether it's something you need to to dig further into and unfortunately with with some of the rule sets, we've got Some of some particular languages that I don't audit a lot, it tends to just be pretty noisy. For languages where I do audit more, like particularly PHP, but also Java and some C sharp, the rules are, are better, and, and you're less likely to get false positives. Whereas for things like like I have Cobol support in there, and uh, to be honest, okay. I I have never <laughs> I've never audited Cobol. I don't really know how well those rules work. That was a pull request from someone here in Melbourne, actually. So, you know, it's it's very easy to extend. When I'm in a position where I can audit multiple languages, I do tend to make incremental improvements. I'm actually working on the next release right now, which includes a lot of quality of life improvements for languages like C Sharp and, and Java, as well as PHP. If you audit any other languages and and you'd like to contribute, please please make a pull request. I tend to accept those and uh, (laughs) you can always put it on your CV.
0: Yeah. I guess talking about, I guess, updates, you've mentioned obviously it's been 13 years, roughly, of of building and running the tool. Obviously there's been updates as you've gone along. I guess what what have been the changes or developments of Crawdit as you've gone along?
1: I guess they fall into three main categories, bug fixes. Obviously, yeah, uh, there's been cases, particularly in the early days, before I was sort of running unit tests and things. Because, like I said, it was—I thought I was kind of the only only user. And then, one day, somebody sent me a, a message saying, "Hey, uh, you know, there's a bug in in your latest release. It matches every line in every file." And that was <laughs> that was not such a great moment. And that obviously led me to introduce unit testing. So I, I try to avoid uh, releasing buggy software if I can.
0: It's a good idea.
1: I'm, I'm, yes, like I said, I'm I'm no longer a professional developer. I gave that a life a long time ago. But I, I do try to adhere to good standards. Yeah. So bug fixes being being one features, I guess is the it's the other, which is not so often anymore. So it'll be things like adding support for Vim lines is, is, is one of the, the features I I use the most. Basically, it m- means that the output produced by Groddit you can copy-paste through Vim command, and it'll, it'll drop you in Vim at the relevant line of code shown by the the output of Groddit. So there's, there's features, and then I'd say the third one is just detection improvements, so the rules either fixing, fixing rules that might be missing things or reducing false positives or adding support for new uh, language features. It, it tends to be those three.
0: Have you got a few and, languages on there now?
1: Yeah, it's quite a, quite a few. Like I said, a lot, of the, uh, a lot of the rule sets aren't necessarily tested. And I also try to, to add other things. It's not all language stuff. There's uh, secret detection. For detecting things like uh, AWS keys, which came about because I had was a little bit unhappy with with Trufflehog, and in terms of that, it would it will scan like every commit rather than do a, a single shot. And there's, there's specific. Absolutely valid reasons to do that, but as a sort of as a bug hunter, you you might just want to do do a quick and quick and dirty check. So, or if you wanted to do it on a commit hook, so I just added a. That is support for that, and again, it tends to be driven by by use cases. When when I have a need for something, I tend to see if I can automate it.
0: Makes sense. And out of interest, on your GitHub profile, you've got a a tutorial coming soon. So without trying to put you under pressure, when might that happen? Yes, I, I will not commit to a
1: timeline. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm I'm really hoping to to do it. I was hoping to already have done uh, some of it, at least, to sort of show. Part of the reason for that is there are a few websites that have Grodit tutorials on there. Most of them tend to just run the whole language match. And there's a lot more finesse in running Grodit and understanding how to write the rules or how to do sort of a once-off rule Combining multiple rule databases. Um, There's a lot of tips and tricks that I use that I think even people that I know who are also users of Groudit don't use. And so I I really wanted to share some some of the other ways of using it where you can get uh, significantly more benefit from the tool than just running what what sort of comes in the shrink shrink wrap in a a release. Just going to set up some... uh, some good screen recording or ASCII cinema and, and, and mm-hmm. do it. But I I also wanted to do voiceover. So I, I'm not a big fan of the online tutorials where people are writing comments in the in the terminal to explain what's happening. So I wanted to to have a slightly higher production quality. Spare time is a commodity like everything I think,
0: else. I think that's a valid excuse. And, and I guess that's the difference. when When we're building and running open tools, open source tools, versus something that's commercial that, people paying for yeah it's it's time and you know when you've got everything going on from work and other commitments it's um, it's not easy
1: no you, you you would think that maybe with isolation you have you might have more <laughs> spare time but it, it seems to vanish there's always there's always something else that needs your attention definitely
0: so so that always wants to ask i guess is in terms of obviously your tools with different names have how do you actually come up with those
1: that's a that's a good question. Some of them are, I guess, sort of acronyms, like GROTIT, GREP, ROUGH, ROUGH AUDIT. It's like half GREP and half AUDIT. So <laughs> that, that one is pretty simple. DUNA is <laughs> it's called DUNA because it's built on top of bed and the DUNA goes over the bed, or DUVE, as, as you say in other parts of the world. LB map, load balancer map, sort of NMAP. But I tend to just... Kind of make make it up on the spot, I don't put significant effort into naming something i'd rather I'd rather just write the code and then name it after i don't you know it it's not sort of something that I want to have a decision paralysis over just just name it something and, and move on
0: okay and then for any i guess aspiring security researchers out there or people that are maybe just building tools that They find helpful. They would like to share. I guess. What's your advice around how they can maybe help themselves do that?
1: I would say pick a problem that you have that you'd like to solve more easily. When I have done mentoring in the past, I have mentioned things like if you're deploying, say, a lot of Apache servers, can you can you make sort of a templating engine to do the Apache config for you? Of course, these days we have Chef and Puppet and and all this solutions for for spinning up deployments of of things like a web server. But it, like a perfect example is things like let's encrypt, which was in a renewing SSL certificates is is now something if you're using let's encrypt it's now something you can do automatically right? you set up a cron job and it will check for renewal. it'll automatically sign. it'll replace the files, it'll restart your web server seamlessly. And it's, you know, it's great. So I would say pick a problem that you have or a problem that you know how to solve, and then see if you can automate it. And and just even if it's a one liner, just being able to say that yes, I made this problem go away, which has saved me time in my job, is a is a valid thing to put forward in a in a job interview.
0: Awesome. So. As someone who's transitioned into security from another area and you've picked up a lot of skills along the way and you've mentored people, spoke around the world, worked around the world, what are the skills that you would be looking out for now in terms of maybe sort of the next pen testers to hire for or people coming through to the industry?
1: I think cloud and mobile are probably the two things that are super topical at the moment web doesn't appear to be going anywhere and and there's a lot of technologies within web so there's a lot of room for specialization if you're someone looking to start out if you have a skill in that area that's somehow related i generally recommend that people start building on what they already know rather than trying to pick up a whole new set of skills from the ground up so if you for example if you know something about web servers learn more about security around web servers or web-based vulnerabilities, you know, grab some exploits of the internet and and try to work out how they work. If you're doing security research, I would generally say pick pick a bug class related to something you know, again, whether it's an operating system or a programming (coughs) language, things like that. You know, if if you're just starting out, pick one thing and learn that one thing and try to learn that one thing well and then build on that either by learning something completely different or, you know, so you learn one bug class in PHP, now you want to learn a bug class in Java or you've gone from a network-based protocol to a file format and just incremental steps. I mean, at least that, that worked for me when I started out. A lot of security was, uh, back in those days, was a lot of like viruses, a lot of viruses, et cetera. I didn't so much play with them, but then when I got to the point where I was looking to transition, Web was, was sort of the, the place where I found my, my niche. But it, it's, it's pretty easy to pick up something like cross site scripting. For example, within Web particularly, or sort of OWASP top 10, injection vulnerabilities is, is, is a big category, and most of them are based around string handling. So if you can learn one, it's actually really easy to pivot. So, if you learn, say, cross-site scripting or SQL injection, it's a very small step to command injection, XML injection, etc. because the, con- the concept of the underlying vulnerability is the same, but the actual execution or exploitation of it varies. So, you can very easily start with one and then build up a repertoire of, of knowledge around uh, all manner of injection flaws.
0: I think that's a I guess a challenge or a problem I see a lot with people is sometimes they're just too broad, and it's it's that specific knowledge that actually I think makes a difference?
1: yeah, so I've, I've found when I've been doing the hiring in the past my interview, I would rather have someone tell me at a very technical level, you know all they know about one or two vulnerability classes than knowing how to run one or two specific tools that you know, automates the exploitation of the same vulnerability classes because when you're on a pen test, when you're on somebody else's network or against somebody else's web servers, there might be a web application, firewall in front, you have to adapt. And the better understanding you have of what's happening on the other end of the connection, the more likely you are to be able to adjust your technique, vector approach to solving this problem Whereas if you're tool bound, if the tool fails, you you kind of stuck.
0: Yeah, as well a, a lot of I guess managers hiring people in in pen testing do look for people that can do more than just well they can do manual testing, not just running tools.
1: Yes, I think I think that's where it, it does help to show that you you know specific specific technical circumstances really well than that you can you can work on solving automating adapting which is again it sort of pulls back to this if you if you show that you've written code no matter how simple to solve one of these problems without requiring a lot of manual intervention uh, you show that you can adapt to overcome these type of things in in real scenarios where you are on somebody else's network and, and you have to solve it fast even if it's not elegant
0: I think based on what you're saying there, I think anyone who's built some tools, really they should be putting them on their CV or onto their, whether it's a highly used or not highly used blog like yourself, but I think putting this stuff out there so people can actually see that and, and do some research is going to be helpful as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think so.
0: Good. Well, I look forward to, uh, to reading the tutorial one day on Grodit.
1: Yeah, uh, I, I imagine it'll be uh, probably video rather than a written one. Or maybe yeah, I should do a written one. <laughs> 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 Might be a good excuse to update my blog. Maybe.
0: Well, I really appreciate your time, Eldar. So thank you for that. And thanks for the insight on, on GrawlDix. Again, I know from the presentations I've heard you give and, and feedback that it's, it's well-received and it's a, it's a helpful tool and hopefully some others can get some benefit as well.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: All right. Take care thanks for listening and if you've got any questions comments please reach out to me you'll find me online anywhere cybersec ricky and if you would like to be involved in the future maybe be a guest and uh, then reach out as well thanks for your time have a great day